0: hello and welcome to my podcast everyday sublime the podcast that sheds light on yin yoga and meditation i'm your host josh summers and i'm really glad you're here as a yin yoga meditation teacher and trainer, as well as a licensed acupuncturist, my intention here is to offer an in-depth exploration of the intersections between yin yoga, Chinese medicine, and meditation. And now, before today's episode, I want to share a series of reflections that I put together that serve as an overview to the essential themes of yin yoga. This series is based on many of the most common questions I receive from students in my training programs. Now, the series is free to all new subscribers to my newsletter. You can just go over to my website, which is joshsummers.net forward slash subscribe to sign up for this. And as a bonus, you'll get access to two practice videos, one sequence that focuses on the spine and the other sequence that focuses on the hips. I'm very excited to share this material with you, my listeners, and I hope that the videos and reflections will continue to support your practice of yin yoga. Now for today's episode, I bring you part two of four of my interview with Dr. Timothy McCall. Timothy is the medical editor for Yoga Journal and author of the bestseller Yoga as Medicine. A few years ago, Timothy was diagnosed with an oral squamous cell cancer that had spread to his lymph nodes. The cancer and his path through treatment uh, and cure of the cancer is the subject of Timothy's new book, Saving My Neck, a doctor's east-west journey through cancer. In the first part of my interview with Timothy, we talked about what it was like for him to receive the cancer diagnosis and how he thought about approaching his treatment. And now, in the second installment of the interview, we dive into how Timothy utilized a protocol of fasting to get him through chemotherapy without any nausea or vomiting. This is pretty amazing stuff. I've been an advocate for many years of fasting. But I'm amazed at how powerfully it affected Timothy's experience of chemotherapy. Now, Timothy is an old and dear friend of mine, and I'm very excited to share this episode with you. His book, Saving My Neck, is a wonderful memoir of his experience through treatment. And if our conversation inspires you, there's a link for purchase in the show notes. And now, without further ado, I once again bring you Dr. Timothy McCall. one of the um let's call it alternative strategies that you employed during treatment was something that came it sounded like it came quite late in the game of getting treatment which was the intervention of fasting right and this is something that i've been interested in for at least a handful of years now. Um, and I'd love to hear about, or just to have the audience hear, like what you, how you discovered that and what your experience of fasting through treatment was like, because it, it sounded like it made a huge pivotal, it made a, it made a huge difference for you in outcome.
1: Well, it certainly made a difference in my ability to get through the treatment. And I suspect it also made the treatment more effective. And basically, you know, I continued to do research probably until about halfway through my course of radiation. I came up therapy. Uh, so, so it was, you know, more than a, but, but probably about a month and a half between getting diagnosed and starting treatment, actually two, two months between getting diagnosed and starting treatment. And I did a lot of reading during that time. And I read, Everything from hard car memoir of a chemotherapist, you know, to, uh, you know, crazy alternative cancer doesn't kill you. Only cancer therapy kills you. You know, just I, I, I read everything, blog posts, spirituals, everything. I read everything. And one of the things I came across. I had heard years ago of these studies. That show that mice that had calorie li- mice that had calorie limited diets lived much longer. I'd heard about that research, but the same research this guy Walter Longo, I think he's from USC, as I recall, is a you know well known researcher, and he also studied in again in mice that were implanted with various cancers and many different studies, many different types of cancers. He found that when they fasted that they did better. They had fewer side effects, and they lived longer. They were cured of cancer at much higher rates. And basically, the idea in the studies was was that when you're fasting, the body goes into this kind of famine mode, you might call it, which our species evolved to be able to deal with quite well. And in that, in that situation, normal cells are kind of in a low-energy protective mode, whereas cancer cells don't have that option. They need an ongoing supply of sugar uh, to, to thrive and to grow at the very fast rate that they're trying to grow at. And so when you cut off the food supply, it seems to protect normal cells and weaken cancer cells such that both chemotherapy and radiation appear to be more effective. Now, and, and again, it's just a mice study. And, and, you know, there's some risk of taking data from mice and trying to apply it to humans. Sure, so I sure. was, wasn't sure this would work. On the other hand, I mean, one of the studies they did, they found that doses of chemotherapy that were fatal to the mice that were eating were tolerated without problems by the mice that were fasting.
0: If I can just replay kind of what you said, um, make sure I get it right. So there's something about the metabolic response to fasting whereby your healthy cells sort of go into a kind of dormancy or a a less active, less proliferating uh, state, and the cancer cells themselves are not able to flip that flip into that kind of a, a dormant mode and therefore they are they are more vulnerable to the to the chemo than their, they're the, the they're, healthy not getting, cells.
1: they're not getting their nutrition so you know one of the things i learned in the course of my treatment was that cancer cells have to consume sugar glucose it's their all pretty much the only fuel they can use and and, and so when you fast, your blood sugar drops, your insulin level drops, and there's there's much less sugar making its way to cancer cells. So they're weakened because they're not getting their, their regular supply of nutrition. And because they're so metabolically active, you know, reproducing as much as they as they are, you know, have this kind of imperative to grow and grow and grow. Um, Whereas normal cells, which don't have this need to have glucose, have this alternative mechanism of being able to basically live on fat, which is in the form of ketone bodies. You've probably heard of ketogenic diets and, and all that kind of stuff. So, so the idea is the brain and normal cells in the body are more than happy to live on ketone bodies pretty much indefinitely they, they do fine whereas cancer cells do not do so well in that environment and appear to be more uh, susceptible now i went into the oncology literature at that time this is days before i'm about to start chemotherapy and i went into the oncology literature i found not a study but a case report i think it was 45 patients who had done various fasting regimens during their cancer treatment and one of the things that struck out uh, stuck out rather um was that the people on chemotherapy had almost no nausea and vomiting now i was about to take the drug cisplatin what's, cisplatin, it,
0: what's the, what's the drink drug?
1: cisplatin it's a it's a platinum-based Chemotherapy and cisplatin is known by some cancer patients as cisflatin because it is the, as doctors like to call it, emetogenic, the most emetogenic, which which I sometimes jokingly call pucogenic. Yeah. It's like the most nausea and vomiting inducing of all the chemotherapy agents. Apparently, I was about to start that. My oncologist and the clinical nurse assigned to my case case, had both given me long lectures on anticipatory nausea, where people get nausea and vomiting so bad with the first infusion of chemotherapy that just like thinking about what they're about to go through during the second infusion, they start vomiting the day before on yeah, the way it, to the clinic.
0: Yeah, that's what I remember reading this in your book. There's something about just showing up at the driveway of the clinic and the nausea sets in. So it's really a Pavlovian response.
1: Yeah, exactly. But and, and so so but the people in this case report in the oncology literature that I found almost no nausea and vomiting. So just that by itself was really motivational to me. And the idea that maybe it's also gonna make me have a greater chance of being cured. Like, what's not to like here? Now, the only thing that was potentially not to like is that I'd never really had much luck with fasting before. I tried various fasting, and it just never seemed to agree with me that well. But I would never done a pure water fast. All I drank during my, basically for 72 hours, surrounding each chemotherapy infusion was lemon water. Mm. And, and I had no nausea and vomiting, none. And
0: which is staggering, actually. I mean, I've never heard anyone going through any kind of chemo without any of that. And you, you had
1: literally zero, literally zero, no nausea and vomiting. And, and, you know, they had me on three different drugs. Uh, You know, actually two, they gave me in the clinic three different ones they gave me to take home. I was supposed to take for three days after each infusion. So I got the dose they gave me with the chemotherapy, but then the ones I was supposed to take like every four hours for the next three days, I never took any of them.
0: Wow. And of course, the conventional advice for people undergoing chemotherapy is eat as much as you want pastries, ice cream, milkshakes whatever calorie laden thing you can get in yeah. and,
1: and 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 what do all those things have in common a major dose of sugar right and so if it turns out that this you know what's known as the metabolic theory of cancer that it's altered oxygen respiration in the mitochondria that causes this you know uh, mandatory oxygen Glucose consumption is the only way to create energy, not being able to metabolize oxygen normally, uh, but but having to essentially ferment sugar for energy uh, that, you know, that this is this, this this is the problem, according to the metabolic theory of cancer. And if that turns out to be true, and it's still, you know, a competing theory at this point, not not proven, but it's consistent with this research. And if it is true, then that advice that we that almost every cancer patient gets—just eat whatever you want, eat crap, eat donuts, eat milkshakes—that and may and, 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 and we may look back and view that as just tragically misinformed advice.
0: Right. And 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 the um, the pressure of the timeline around this can't be overemphasized because <laughs> I, I remember talking about this before and, and reading it in the book, but. I think you were literally three days in out outside of starting the chemotherapy when you came across Dr. Walter Longo's research, right? So it was certainly within
1: the last, last week. And you know, I think, I think, I think that might've been about a week before. And then actually literally three days before was when I came across studies that suggested that acupuncture during treatment, um, increased the ability of the salivary glands to not be damaged to return to normal function. So so the normal glands that make the saliva in your mouth that helps you digest food are totally in harm's way for the renation therapy that's coming into the tonsil and the neck. And and one of the onerous long-term side effects of renation therapy to to the mouth and neck is, is that you may have a dry mouth for the rest of your life, you know, so I, and and so the idea that adding acupuncture might lessen that risk was very attractive to me. So I ended up talking to an acupuncturist, I think one day before I started treatment and she like worked me into her schedule the next day. And then we started doing three times a week, during my treatment and for about six weeks after so
0: so you added the acupuncture and which joe do you want to come back to particularly when we get into um the discussion on evidence-based medicine sure. um, what was the what was the fasting protocol you put yourself on um because well,
1: you know so so this this was something that was kind of an unknown because i mean of course this hasn't been studied in humans you can't necessarily extract Uh, you know, extrapolate times from mice because mice have different metabolic rates and different life expectancy. So it's not clear how long they did it. When I read various things online, I found a wide variance in what people were doing. One day, two days, a lot of people said fast for three days before chemotherapy. But now one of the things that I had done was I had opted for a lower dose of chemotherapy. I had done some research and I had found that a very similar cumulative dose of cisplatin, but instead of delivering in very high dose on three occasions, two to three occasions, given three weeks apart, basically, or as compared to a lower dose given weekly, the effectiveness seemed to be about the same, but the rate of some very nasty side effects seemed to be much less uh and like like kidney failure and hearing loss and other stuff that you know i already have some hearing loss from having gone to way too many concerts as a young man so i was like i don't need any more hearing loss i'll I'll end up needing a hearing aid if i get any so i opted for the lower dose chemotherapy but because it was weekly i was afraid if i fasted for too long I hardly have any time to eat. And and most people who go through this treatment, which causes a lot of soreness in the mouth and difficulty swallowing and other stuff, lose about 10% of their body weight. And, and you know, you get too emaciated, and I'm thin to start out with. You get too emaciated, it can actually undermine immune function. So I didn't want to overdo it. And so the compromise I came up with, I, I, I basically fasted, for about a little more than 48 hours before and a little less than 24 hours after total of about a 72 hour window per week so basically eight five days no, no food for two days and then the, 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 the two nights book ending hmm. that so so i i had that period uh and, and then, of course, the other thing that happened, which I only kind of figured out once I got hip to the metabolic theory of cancer months later when I really researched that, long after I'd finished my treatment. Because my mouth got so sore and almost anything I tried to eat would burn it, I was reduced to eating basically eggs and some full fat dairy that was basically like kind of only things that would go down. Uh, you know so that's and I initially I was starting off not eating any eggs or any dairy. but then as I ran out of food options as one and as again and again, everything I'd been eating was slowly starting to burn my mouth and then became un, un, not possible to take, I realized, well geez, was, all, all I'm taking is this like very, you know cream top milk, and eggs. I was eating a ketogenic diet without even knowing it. I was eating probably 500 calories a day. And, and so I figure that the last, I calculated about 27 days of, of treatment and the first week of rehab, 27 days, I was essentially in ketosis the whole time in all likelihood. So the same advantage that I may have gotten during those, you know, three-day windows during each week of treatment, I probably got uninterrupted for several weeks. And by the way, the radiation therapy particularly has a cumulative effect. So what it does in the fifth week or the sixth week is much more than what it does in the second or third week. So I figure at the time when the radiation therapy was having the greatest effect, which actually would have been The week after treatment, because that's when your symptoms, your side effects get to be the worst, like about 10 days after. So I figure during that whole time when the treatments were maximally effective, I was ketotic the whole time. So, you know, so I I, I feel like accidentally I wound up with this thing that may have helped me a great deal.
0: Yeah, listening to you, I'm not sure which sounds worse, the chemotherapy itself, the the, the long fasting. I fast maybe twenty four hours once or twice a week, but not consecutively and Yeah. Um uh, I've more or less adapted to that. It's not uh unpleasant in any sense. It actually feels quite good to do it, but every time I've tried to push it, push the envelope on that to a longer fast, that's the the challenging symptoms do do a rise past the 24 hour mark. Um, so you're fasting, but you're also, you're, you're not, you know, you're on this mono diet of, of soft eggs and, and, uh, dairy, which also doesn't sound all that appetizing, particularly after maybe one or two days of it.
1: Well, you know, appetizing was really kind of off the, off the menu for for weeks there. It was, it, this is, we're just talking survival, yeah. trying to get anything down at all. And actually, when i first so i so one of my first like real foods i was able to eat after my mouth started to recover a little bit some things were still burning it but then some weird things somehow i could tolerate I, my sister-in-law made a big plate of pesto for a party and i tasted it and it didn't burn my mouth and it tasted normal cuz a lot of things were tasting weird too it tasted normal and it was like basil and garlic and pine nuts and parmesan cheese i was like in heaven it was like the first interesting food i'd had for like a month or more so so yeah no it was it was it was not good but let me say this i never did well with fasting i tried juice fast i tried kitchenery fast they were always kind of terrible for me plain water fasting for whatever reason my body seems to like fine. I don't actually get a lot of hunger. I start fantasizing about when I'm gonna eat when i when i'm gonna eat gonna be eating again, but I'm actually not hungry. Well, that's
0: actually you know the comparisons you just ran make total sense to me in the sense from what I understand about fasting in that if you're doing juice fast or having kitchery or any kind of food whatsoever during a fast you're you're not you're not giving the pancreas that rest. you're still getting sugar spikes. Or insulin spikes in response to sugar taking and, and that will throw you sort of you won't get into ketosis at all which makes fasting much easier
1: exactly exactly so so you know and so i now as part of my long-term strategy to try to keep the cancer at bay um is you know the change of season according to ayurveda is often a good time for a brain fast with every change of season, particularly the change of season from from winter to spring.
0: What's a, brief, and so, what's a brief fast in your book?
1: In Ayurveda, it would depend on your constitution and other factors, but we're talking a meal to maybe a day. They're, they're, they're short-term, generally what's done in, in Ayurveda. It can be a little longer for someone of kapha nature, uh, but, but shorter for vata, basically, and in, intermediate for pitta um some pittas don't do well with fasting at all because they because they have such strong digestive fire that they get ravenously hungry and if they can't eat food they may try to eat the person next to them metaphorically <laughs> in <Yeah>. conversation <laughs> you know so so but what i do now is i do four days of water fasting with every change of season and then i do three days of ketogenic diet afterwards keep myself in ketosis now I'm pretty much a vegetarian. Occasionally I have fish, but pretty much I'm a vegetarian. And when you look at almost all the guides to ketogenic diets, they kind of admit that's pretty darn difficult for a vegetarian, pure vegetarian, to, to do a ketogenic diet. And what I found is that I can come up with about three days worth of stuff where I can you know, use spaghetti squash as my pasta and, you know, make, make this dish or that dish, you know, Thai coconut curry with, with spaghetti squash as the noodles, like that kind of thing. So, so four days water fasting, three days of this ketogenic diet, keep myself in ketosis for a good week. Uh, and I do that four times a year with just as a, and, and by the way, my father died of Alzheimer's. My mother had type two diabetes. Uh, fasting and this kind of thing is probably also really good for that because those are both tied to insulin resistance and and uh, you know high blood sugar and all that.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Now I was going to ask you. I've heard other people talk about um, that kind of cancer prophylactic fasting protocol where. Uh, two to three times, like you're describing transitions between seasons to do a kind of four to five day water fast. Um, so that, that's interesting here. Um,
1: and and, you know, I invented it. Okay. I, I, I never heard of anybody doing that. And I just was trying to come up with a way to do this. Now, one of the things that happened to me when I did my first, uh, four day fast, which was the summer after I finished therapy, So probably four or five months after I finished, still kind of weak in a way, but I, 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 I became convinced this might be a good idea. And I did it and I had an amazing discovery. I did the fast, you know, I cook all my own meals, fresh whenever I can. So suddenly I wasn't cooking, I wasn't cleaning dishes. I wasn't spending a lot of time in the bathroom, (laughs) you know, so so hours of day uh, per day came to me that I didn't have before. I had stuff on my to do list that had been staring back at me angrily Mm -hmm. for like a year, just stuff that I like would keep on thinking, oh, I really should do that. and I would never do it. I ticked more of those things off. And like the first two days of that first water fast i did that then and i was like oh this is a time where your spiritual practice goes deeper where you can get stuff done where you've got this and and there's kind of a clarity to thinking that comes so yeah there's a challenge of fasting some people have have a lot of hunger uh with it and that becomes an issue it wasn't an issue for me perhaps because the other thing I now do is I eat a pretty high-fat diet. I've decided not to go off carbs, mm-hmm. so I still eat some high-quality carbs, but I'm always adding a ton of ghee and coconut oil and other things that are going to slow the insulin spike and, and theoretically keep the sugar from going as high.
0: Uh, yeah, and, and there's other things that I know we want to talk about, but on the, the one question I wanted to pose to you around fasting uh, to get your take on it is, Something that I've, I experienced myself definitely, which is that um, when I first got into it, there was maybe a one to two month period where every time I would fast, I would have all the negative side effects like cloudy head, irritability, uh, tired, you know, feeling wobbly, uh, craving certain foods. Um, but I do feel like at, one po- at some point my body adapted Right. And I became uh, adaptive to, adapted to fasting, and 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 those negative side effects abated, and and the opposite became true, and that I actually felt more focused, more energetic, etc. Um, yeah. While in a fasted state, and one of the things I often hear from folks that um, kind of critique fasting, they say, "Well, it's not for everybody," and I did it once, and it didn't work for me, and. Um, Do you have a sense of that, that, you know, that this is something that maybe more people should be doing or might consider doing and and that they need to move past that break in phase of discomfort to actually experience the benefits of it? Or are there certain conditions that you can think of that that would probably be a, a no fly zone for any kind of fasting?
1: Well, I mean, our species evolved to deal with periodic famine. And not only did it deal with periodic famine, but it found ways to take advantage of all the tremendous amount of metabolic energy that's devoted to digestion. When when that energy is freed up, Uh, You know, the Nobel Prize in 2016 went to a Japanese scientist who discovered this phenomenon of autophagy, autophagy, self-eating. And that when you're in this state of fasting, that you start to take the energy that would have been devoted to um, digestion and turn it instead to housekeeping. And specifically, what happens is that the body culls senescent, less effective immune cells from the body, gets rid of them, and creates a spike in in immune stem cells. So you kind of get a reboot of your immune system. And and of course, we're now living in an age where most of us are predicted to have develop high blood pressure and eventually going to need to go on medication, where the majority of the population is overweight, if not obese, where, where people are at risk of metabolic syndrome and type two diabetes. And as I was suggesting earlier, even a greater risk of Alzheimer's disease. So fasting periodically, or as you're doing, you know, one or two days a week kind of thing would seem to be very effective in countering many of those things. So I think people should think about it. Now, from an Ayurvedic standpoint, Certain people don't do so well with fasting. And so like I said, people with a lot of vata, uh, very high vata levels, not so much in their constitution, but in their current state of balance, very high stress, whatever, may not go as well. Some people of pitta nature, you know, fiery types, high digestive fire may have more trouble with it. I have a lot of pitta myself. I got used to it. Now it's very little in the way of problem. It's still a discipline, you know. During the third and fourth day of fasting, particularly, I'm kind of like really going to be psyched when I can can eat again, and and I have an initial burst of energy, but I find that three or four days in, starting to have less energy. So so uh, you know, I think ultimately what Ayurveda would say is that our body gives us feedback and whatever the theory is you learn to cultivate your inner awareness your felt sense and you learn to respond to the feedback and so you're fasting and you don't feel good is this something that you can work with or is this something that's really a signal that this is not good for you and i think that's the kind of differentiation the really embodied practitioner learns to be able to make
0: okay we'll pause the conversation there and in the show notes I'll leave links to Timothy's book to the work of Dr. Walter Longo on fasting that Timothy mentions in the conversation as well as to a good link on the overview of the practice of intermittent fasting Up next, in the next installment of this conversation, Timothy and I will look at holism versus reductionism in medical care. This topic is so important as I think many people approach alternative medicinal treatments with a reductionistic mindset. So stay tuned and I look forward to bringing that episode to you soon. Finally, as a gentle reminder, if you'd like to receive your free access to my Essentials of Yin Yoga program, Just head over to my website, which is www.joshsummers.net forward slash subscribe, sign up for my newsletter, and I'll start sending all of that material to you soon. Thanks so much for listening today, and I'll see you in the next episode.